0: Good morning. We're going to be in 1st Samuel chapter 2 this morning and well let's start the message with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God in heaven Lord you are so holy Lord and uh, Lord we are all weak Lord. Lord I am weak and I just pray Lord that this message would not be hindered by my weakness. I pray Lord for the power enabling power of your Holy Spirit Lord um, to work through me Lord to speak clearly um, and to just engage your word, Lord, and bring application, Lord, this morning. Pray this in your Son's name. Amen. All right, so we're gonna be in First Samuel chapter two this morning. I preached a month or two ago on First Samuel chapter one, and what I would like to do um, is slowly but surely preach through the entire book of First and Second Samuel. I say book because First and Second Samuel was originally one book. Uh, Most of the time in the Old Testament, if you have a first and second, they were originally one book, but that's just extra information. So I really wanna preach through the book of first and second Samuel. Um, And so to start that, I wanna, today I'll be doing a little bit of background information when we start the message. But before we get there, something that's just been on my mind, and I think all of our minds is that there's just so much bad and sad news out there. I like to watch happy movies. I I like to watch action movies, right? But as long as there's a good ending. There was this one movie I watched a long time ago, I won't say the name of the movie um, because I don't believe in spoiler alerts. They're no fun. But basically everybody died at the end. It was like just terrible. I walked away and it was in the evening so I went to bed like sad. I'm like, this was terrible movie. It was based off of a true story so I can't blame them too much. But there is so much just discouragement out there. There There's so much sadness. And when we're sad, when we see that article on the news, when we hear of that shooting, of that school shooting, of this happening, when we're hearing about how politics is going down the drain, um, as we have anxiety over the next election, who knows who's gonna be elected, who's who's gonna be where, it's so stressful. And often, this causes us to be weak. It causes me to be weak. Sometimes I just feel like I'm just a puddle of mud on the floor because there's just so much bad news, so many bad things happening. Yet as Christians, we're told to be joyful in trials and persecution, and we should, and there is much occasion to do so. Where does this joy come from? Joy that is strengthened in persecution. Is this still not off? Okay, I'm hearing noises. I'm not sure if you guys are, but I might might just be crazy. So where does this joy come from that can look at the news article, that can hear something as terrible as happening, and then smile? Well, I believe that Hannah knew of such joy. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, I believe that in her prayer that we will find strength that comes from Christ for discouraging times. And we need to have to have this encouragement, to have this joy. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2 what we're going to see today is in Hannah's prayer she's going to talk about Christ and what she's going to do what we're going to see in Hannah's prayer is how she understood and applied the strength of Yahweh's salvation to her life in six ways. And these applications will further strengthen us for the hope that we have in Christ. I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 through 10. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down the Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed before and that word anointed there in Hebrew is Mashiach, which is Messiah. So I'll read that last verse. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his Messiah. You may have a seat. Hannah's prayer is about what the Lord will accomplish with the Messiah. 1 Samuel chapter 2 is about the great salvation that Yahweh. Our God will accomplish in Christ if we look at how the Bible has set up for this theme for Christ we'll be able to fully appreciate not only Hannah's prayer but the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel because the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel has a theme that can be summarized in king and kingdom it asks questions who will be this king who will reign over the earth What will his kingdom be like first and second Samuel answers those questions but quickly if we're not familiar with the idea of the Messiah in the Old Testament I want to quickly survey significant passages in the Old Testament specifically in the Pentateuch that's the first five books of the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah and what we're gonna see is that this shaped Hannah's understanding of the Messiah her appreciation of the Messiah and her faith in what God would accomplish in the Messiah. So, in Genesis chapter three fifteen, it's a it's a very uh, very famous, very popular verse. If you would turn to Genesis chapter three fifteen, Genesis three fifteen is often called the Proto Evangelion. It's pronounced different ways, but Proto Evangelion, Proto Evangelion. It means the first utterance of the gospel message. That's what people point out in Genesis 3.15. It reads here, the Lord is talking to the serpent and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. When we study this passage, when we study the context of this passage, Moses wrote the Pentateuch around 1400 B.C., around that time frame. And when he wrote it, he wrote it in the context to people coming out of Egypt. So as we're studying Genesis, there's certain things that stand out from the context of Egypt. One of them is this language of someone crushing the head of their enemy. It was actually strictly reserved for the the idea of a king crushing his enemy. And it was really fun. It was a few weeks in Seoul Sunday School. I'm going through Genesis, and so I only mention it. And one of the Seoul Sunday School students, they they shout out. They're like, oh, you're you're talking about um, a certain inscription, a certain Egyptian inscription. I'm like blown away. How does this kid know the name of it? He even, he, I asked him, what's the name of this inscription? He's like, um, the Narmer Palette. I'm like blown away. I'm like, wow, my job's in jeopardy here. This junior high is, is coming after my job. But I was really impressed. I was really thankful. And I asked him, how did you know the name of that? How did you get that? He goes, well, I like to read Egyptian manuscripts and inscriptions. <laughs> so I, I, I was really thankful because he gave me the name of the inscription. And so I, I looked it up. I don't have a picture this morning of it. But what it is, it's an Egyptian inscription of a king crushing the head of his enemy. Genesis 3.15, right away, God wants us to know, I am sending you a king who is going to defeat the work of the serpent. And if we had more time to go through the book of Genesis, the idea of this seed who will crush the head of, serpent, of the serpent, that idea goes through the entire book of Genesis. That's why it's important for us to know about um, their descendants, about Abraham and the many descendants promised to him. Because when God used the word descendants in Hebrew, it's the word seed, Zerah. And so it's following that theme of this one seed who would crush Satan's head, would defeat death and sin once and for all. And so some of the significant verses in Genesis, if you're interested, Genesis 17.6, the Lord promises to Abraham that kings will come from him. In Genesis chapter 22.17, it's revealed that a special king will come from Abraham's descendants who will have victory over his enemies. And then a couple more, one more in Genesis, Genesis 49.1.12, um, talks about how a scepter is not going to depart from the tribe of Judah. If you read in the book of Revelation, I think it's chapter 5, where Jesus is described as the um, lion of the tribe of Judah, the apostle John got that from Genesis 49. So at the beginning of the book of Genesis, we have in the beginnings God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 49, God tells us what is he going to do in the last days. In Genesis we have God's entire plan of salvation a couple more passages numbers 24 reveals that a king will crush the head of his enemies in numbers 24 that should remind us of Genesis 315 finally Deuteronomy 32 memorializes this future victory in a song of Moses one popular writer, John Salehammer, basically looked at all these passages and said, this is the theme of the Pentateuch. The theme of the Pentateuch is that God will provide the Messiah who will have victory and who will win. We're told from the beginning, God wins. We're told how he wins. And then we're called to have faith in the person he accomplishes this victory in, who is Christ. So, why is all that significant to 1 Samuel chapter 2? Much of Hannah's song comes from Deuteronomy 32. Much of Hannah's song comes from this idea that God would send someone to defeat his enemies. And if I can just say one more thing before we get into really the heart of the message. The author of 1 and 2 Samuel place Hannah's prayer at the beginning so that we can follow and understand the meaning and significance of the rest of the book. And that's confirmed because in 2 Samuel 22, David, King David, sings Hannah's prayer. Oh, and by the way, that word I pointed out earlier, Messiah, Hannah's the first person to use a Messiah in her Bible. She kind of coins that name for this promised deliverer from Genesis First and second Samuel is all about the Messiah and his kingdom. So that's a big picture I want to bring it down a little smaller now. That's big picture. It's abstract, it's all the way up there. It's lofty and needed theology to know. So the question is, how does that apply to our life when we need it the most? That's what we're going to see in Hannah's prayer this morning so in hannah's prayer what hannah does is that she takes this truth she knows about the messiah and she applies it to her life in six ways here's something that poems do poems her her prayer is kind of in the form of a poem poems don't necessarily have points but they have actions poetry does something in Hannah's p- prayer, she does six things. She's applying her knowledge of the Messiah in six ways. I'm just going to go by them one by one. The first one that we see in first one is that Hannah proclaims that there is strength found in Yahweh's salvation. Now I said earlier her prayer is about the Messiah, right? Well. I'm going to make you guys wait for it because Hannah makes us wait for it. Hannah builds up this momentum of the greatness of Yahweh's salvation. At the very end, she's going to talk about how it's all bound up in the Messiah. So first, Hannah proclaims that there is strength found in Yahweh's salvation. So if we're reading verse 1, we're told that this is a prayer from Hannah, and her prayer starts and begins and says my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, Lord, my mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoiced in your salvation. I, I have a question first. What, what kind of joy is it that Hannah has? What is the nature of her joy? Well, we can see the nature of her joy in three concepts. Her heart exalts, her horn is exalted, which is the Picture of strength. It's a picture of strength. It's the image of a bull with horns lifting up his head, and it has his eyes directly at you. There's strength in that bull. You don't want to mess with it. In the same way, you didn't want to mess and get in the way with Hannah's joy. And then she says, my mouth derides my enemies. The uh, picture of derides, literally in the Hebrew, um, it's the Hebrew word to open your mouth. So she's saying, I'm swallowing up my enemies with my mouth. This is a very specific joy. The language that she uses here is actually the language someone would use after having victory in battle and warfare. So Hannah's joy is more than happy. It is a joy that comes from knowing that there is victory in something. And we can confirm that because she even tells us she says because i rejoice in your salvation now at this point we know that she has this this joy that's likened to victory in warfare and it's because of yahweh's salvation but she has not yet given us the details of that salvation yahweh's salvation is vast there's many things yahweh rede- yahweh redeems people from so the question is what is the specific salvation that hannah has in mind That's what she's going to reveal for us in the rest of her prayer. And the first thing that Hannah wants us to see about the joy that is found in Yahweh's salvation is that it is based off of God's Word. If you look down at verse 2, what Hannah does here, she quotes from two significant Old Testament passages. One is Exodus 15, that's the song of Moses, where Moses sings a song after being delivered from Egypt, after the Passover, after the passing through the Reed Sea, Moses sings a song, and he talks about how there is no one like Yahweh, and there is none besides him. So what's in Hannah's mind? Hannah's mind for Yahweh's salvation is the Exodus, is when... Yahweh set his heart on a certain people and he saved them from slavery, from a bad master, and brought them into slavery to himself. In the book of Exodus, when it talks about how Israel was a slave to Pharaoh, it's the Hebrew word aved. When in uh, later in Exodus, when Yahweh is telling Israel, Come serve me in the wilderness, the word for serve is the same word, aved. And it's, we know this from the New Testament, right? The Apostle Paul says, Paul, an apostle, a slave of Christ, a doulos. So Hannah first wants us to know, what is the greatness of Yahweh's salvation? Where can we find strength in Yahweh's salvation? It's because there is no God like him, because he has set his heart on a people to save them from slavery from one master to bring them into service to himself and it's the same for us in christ christ died on passover right and so in passover what christ accomplished is that he saved us from slavery to our sins slavery to satan slavery to death and he brought us to serve him this is what's on Hannah's heart, on her mind. This is what's building up this joy that's expressed in first one. And then she also quotes another passage from Deuteronomy 32. Um, when she says, there is no rock like our God. The First time that was uttered was by Moses in Deuteronomy 32. And she realizes the greatness of Yahweh's salvation has to do with his love, For his people. The idea of rock here, what it is, it's more of like the face of a mountain. It's not like a little rock, you know, where you like throw rock at a river or something like that. This is the face of a mountain. Yahweh's salvation is faithful. His salvation is faithful, and we can depend on him. So Hannah continues and in verse three. She actually warns her enemy of the strength of Yahweh's salvation. That's what we see in verse three, if you look down, and then she says, "Talk no, excuse me, talk no more so very proudly. let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. She's warning her enemy. And in the context, who is her enemy? If we were to do a look a little bit in 1 Samuel chapter 1, her enemy was her husband's other wife, can't say second wife, other wife at the same time. And what specifically made her, her name was Penina, Hannah's enemy, was that she taunted Hannah because she could not have children. And that sounds terrible, right? And it is terrible. It's actually worse than what it seems because Hannah was a descendant of Abraham. What did the Lord promise to Abraham? Descendants, a lot of them. Penina had children, Hannah had none. Penina's attack against Hannah was in the context of also an attack against God's word. Because in Penina attacking who was supposed to be her sister in the Lord, she's attacking what God has promised to her. So Hannah understanding that. It was not just Penina who attacks God's people, but there is many people attacking God's people. She says, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. We can't see it in English, but she's using the plural. She's using the plural. It's the idea that Penina wasn't the only enemy. There was other people. There are always people against God's people. There's always people against God. Christ and his promises. And what we see here, Hannah is more than encouraged. She has the confidence to warn other people about the strength of Yahweh's salvation. The strength of Yahweh's salvation is something that's encouraging to us that we find hope in. The strength of Yahweh's salvation is also something that should be feared. Something that, we sh- that should be feared. And Hannah's going to draw out why the strength of Yahweh's salvation should be hoped in and feared at the same time. And the end of verse three, she says, for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The warning is that Yahweh knows everything. Not only has he, does he know everything, but he is righteous. And because he is righteous, he will judge accordingly. So, nowadays when we see many threats and attacks um, against us, against the Lord, we have hope. We don't need to shrink back because we know that God knows everything. He knows the end. He knows how it's gonna play out. And that's what Hannah's gonna give us here is, how is it gonna play out in the end? What's gonna happen? And so the next thing that hannah does in verses 4 and 5 is that hannah looks forward to the breath of the strength of yahweh's salvation and i know that's a loaded sentence but she looks forward to the breath of the strength of yahweh's salvation here's what i mean by that when yahweh saves in the end it's not small it's not small It covers everything so let's look down at verse 4 the bows of the mighty are broken but the feeble bind on strength this is the language of warfare in the end the Lord will have victory over all warfare and in that warfare what's gonna happen is Yahweh is gonna give strength to those who are feeble and then he's gonna reverse the fortune of those that are powerful. The idea of someone with a bow here is that they're going to start out with this bow, with this appearance of strength, and God is going to unarm them. What's happening here is Hannah is looking forward to a future where there is complete reversal. So we have to begin to ask the question, because I said she's looking to a future, and I say that because... What we're gonna read was was not the reality of Hannah's life it was not the full reality the Lord provided her a child we see that in the first chapter but there is many things she reads here she's excited about that had not happened in Hannah's day we're gonna read there's lots of things here that has not happened in our day so she is confident for a salvation the Lord will accomplish in the future so one of them is warfare secondly in verse 4 verse 5 says, those who were full have hired thems out, themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. So what she's saying, there's a day when the proudful enemies who are arrogant, who are sputtering all of these threats against the Lord's people, and often aren't they rich in this world? They're rich in spirit. Often they're rich in possessions, right? They have no, they have no problem with eating with food. Hannah is saying, "One day that's going to change. It's going to be a reversal." And so again, it's, when the Lord saves, it's not small, it's totally. It's big. And then verse the end of verse five, "The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn." So we're talking about um, food. We're talking about warfare. We're talking about family. So this includes all kinds of concepts this includes the concepts of military national aspects hunger social family personal reversals and next what we see in verses six through eight is that hannah wants to focus in on something she wants to focus in she's looking not only at the breath of the greatness of his salvation but the what I'm saying here is the depth of the strength of his salvation not just how um, expansive his salvation is but how powerful his salvation is look down at verse 6 verse 6 says, the Lord kills and brings to life I have to stop right here there is there is something that we can't see here in english the hebrew has different tenses the tense that is used here is something called causative which when we read each verb we need to have in mind that is a causative so the lord causes he causes some to be killed he causes life to be brought he causes people to be brought down to Sheol, and he causes people to be raised up the lord he causes for there to be poor, for there to be reversal of the poor and the rich. So Yahweh is causing all of this. This is bringing attention to the power of Yahweh. And again, we look at these verses, you are know, like, hold on, hold on, I'm, I'm not rich, <laughs> right? This hasn't happened yet. Spiritually, we're rich. Spiritually, we're rich in Christ, and that's certainly included here. But Hannah here is talking about Very national social personal dynamics this is the future she's looking forward to this is a reality that will be experienced so as we're living in this reality now what is what is the what is the bridge between the future the bridge is our hope and faith in Christ who will accomplish it who will accomplish this reality and that's what we see in verses 9 and 10. Hannah, finally, she begins to conclude the prayer, to move in the direction, and she puts her hope in the agent of the strength of Yahweh's salvation. Look at verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. Um, I love the ESV translation here, but if you look in Hebrew where it says, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, it's actually faithful one, singular. So you might think like, okay, so which which faithful person is is Yahweh going to guard the feet of? It's Christ. So how do we relate to that? Well, if you're in Christ, then you're also guarded. You're also protected. But verse 9, Hannah starts to compare this large, just fearful idea of enemies in comparison to Yahweh's salvation in one person, the Messiah. And then she continues, and then she says, For as not by might a man shall prevail, shall a man prevail. And in verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken pieces this is the same language used in Psalm chapter 2 where it talks about how the nations are gathered up and to attack the Messiah and it actually says after that the Lord's response when he sees the nation's gathered up to literally fight the Messiah God laughs he laughs and if you were to read the verses it says because he had set his king on Zion so this is talking about a future event. Against them, he will thunder in heaven. Uh, thunder can be a terrifying thing, especially if you're right under it. But When it says that he will thunder in heaven, it's referring to the voice of God. In Exodus, the people, um, in, in I think it was Exodus, as in Exodus, people were afraid of God's voice because it thundered. They didn't want to hear his voice because it was so fearful. Against them, he will thunder in heaven. And then Hannah concludes The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. I have a question. Does a strong person who is going through no trial need strength? Who needs strength? A person who's in trouble a person who needs strength is a person who needs strength what did Hannah know here about the Messiah well I think that she applied Genesis 315 yes the Messiah would have victory but the Messiah would also go through some hard times he would go through a trial and I don't think it's coincidental or coincidental when the rest of the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel David went through some hard trials. And David knew the Messiah would come from him. David knew he had a special relationship with the Messiah. And all of this really concludes in the Bible, comes to a climax, where we learn that there is a suffering Messiah, right? Isaiah 53. And the suffering that he suffered was suffering unlike any other suffering. Sure, people go through hard times. Christ would go through hard times. Sure, people are afflicted. Christ was afflicted. People die. The Messiah died. But no one had on him or herself the entire wrath of God. That is an affliction, a trial no one could endure. That's a death we could not die. And in all of that affliction, christ the son of god drew strength from his father he trusted in his father to exalt him to his right hand now hannah didn't know necessarily all that what i just had what i just said but what here's what she did know is that her strength was connected to the messiah quickly go back to verse one she says my horn is exalted in the lord go back to verse 10 talks about how the Lord will exalt the horn of his Messiah Hannah had strength because the Messiah she knew the Messiah would have strength Hannah was encouraged because of the work of the Messiah the ultimate display of the strength of Yahweh's salvation is seen in the defeat of sin and death on the cross the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ to his throne in heaven This is where true strength comes from. Strength that can overcome anything, any adversity, any trial. Are you weak, tired, suffering, sad, afflicted? You can find strength in Christ who was also weak, tired, suffered, sad, and afflicted. Is someone you love in pain near death? Have they experienced death? Are you near death? You can find strength in Christ, who God gave power to overcome death. Are you at a low point in your life because of sin? You can find strength in Christ, who conquered sin. Are you downcast and you can't see how life can get better from your present circumstance? You can find strength in Christ, who sits on his throne and has promised that you will reign with him one day. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, there is so much in this prayer, Lord, that where Hannah just shows us, Lord, how great you are and how great the plan that you have for your Messiah. Pray, Lord, for anyone here today who feels weak, who feels sad, I just pray, Lord, that you or your Holy, your Holy Spirit would remind them of the strength they have in Christ, of the power that there is in Christ. I pray this in your Son's name. Amen.